Now, Psalm 122 is a great psalm. In fact, this psalm is one of the 15 psalms of ascent. So maybe in your Bible, you can see there that the psalm is given that heading, that it is a psalm of ascent, the psalm of David. And that means that Jewish pilgrims would sing this song as they traveled up to Jerusalem to worship God. And one of the things that I so enjoy about Psalm 122 is that the tone of this psalm is joy. The tone of Psalm 122 is joy. Um, In verse one, note the word glad. That's a word that's worth highlighting, underlining, circling, because that word glad, it sets the tone for this psalm. And you know that the Hebrew word that's translated glad, it literally means to be joyful. So this is a joyful, happy, glad song. There is nothing boo-hoo about this psalm. Everything about this psalm is woohoo. That is Psalm 122. It is not a sad psalm. It is a glad psalm. And we also learn the theme of Psalm 122. In fact, we see here that there are two things that David writes about. First, he talks about the joy of God's people on pilgrimage to God's city. And the city of God here is called Jerusalem. But also in this psalm, he talks about the gladness of God's people being in God's house. When David wrote this, this was the tent of David, but later King Solomon would build a temple and that would be called the house of God. And so as we look at this psalm this morning, what I'd like like us to do is to focus in on these two locations that are spoken of in this psalm. We're first gonna learn about the city of God and then I want us to end today talking about the house of God. So here we go. Number one, the city of God And in verses one through five, David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now, this is talking about Jerusalem. And the Bible calls Jerusalem the city of God. We see that in Psalm 46, verse 4. Now, at least three times a year, Jewish pilgrims from all over Israel filled with anticipation and excitement, they would begin the journey up the Judean mountains to the city of Jerusalem, which is set about 2,500 miles above sea level. And as these people were traveling from their hometowns all over Israel to Jerusalem, their desire was to reach the city of God. And you have to keep in mind that Many of these people traveled for days. In fact, some of these people had been traveling for more than a week. So you can understand, as this psalm tells us in verse 2, of the feelings and the thoughts that the Jews had as they arrived in the city of Jerusalem. 
It was ecstatic. You see, we see in verse 2 that these pilgrims, as they walked up that mountain and as they arrived in the city of Jerusalem, as every advancing step brought them closer and closer to the city of God. And they can see the gates becoming bigger and bigger in their perspective. Now they were there. And so there was a feeling of relief as they looked behind them. And there was a feeling of awe and wonder and excitement as they looked in front of them. They were now in the city of God. They were super excited about being there. And verse 2, it carries the tone of this feeling and sense, all the excitement, all the wonder, and all the joy that was there in arriving in Jerusalem. You see, the reason for their excitement, the reason why they were excited to be in Jerusalem, the city of God, is highlighted in this psalm. In fact, this psalm tells us four reasons why Jerusalem was a special city. Number one, in verse three, we see that Jerusalem was a well-built city. Now, keep in mind that most of these pilgrims, their visit to Jerusalem was one of only a few times in the year, if that, that they actually got to step foot into an urban city. Most of these people came from farmlands. Most of these people came from fishing communities. They came from open country settings but now they were in a real urban city. And this was a city that was contained within walls. And these people, they marveled at the sight and the sounds and the smells of Jerusalem as they walked in and they could see stores and they could see homes and, and, and government buildings. And then the, the house of God itself, all contained within the walls of Jerusalem. And so for them to be there, it was really special. But secondly, Jerusalem was special because we see in verses 1 and 4, the house of God was in the city. And this made Jerusalem the worship center of Israel. That meant for these people, this was the gathering place for God's people. We see there in verse 4 that Jerusalem was where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Talking about the people of the 12 tribes of Israel as they would begin the journey to Jerusalem to worship God. I love how God calls these people. He doesn't merely see them as the tribes, the national tribes of Israel, but he says, these are my people. He calls them the tribes of the Lord. So Jerusalem was special because this is where God's people assembled. This is where God's people worship God together. But Jerusalem was also where God's people came to hear and obey God's law. We see there in verse 4 that as people came to Jerusalem, they came to where the testimony of Israel was. Now throughout the Old Testament... Speaking about God's law, speaking about the word of God, it is referred to as the testimony, the testimony of God. And so this is what made Jerusalem really special. Jerusalem was where the Old Testament scrolls were kept. Jerusalem is where the scriptures were taught. This was God's city. 
and it was known for God's word. God's people gathered there. The word of God was there, but also this is where God's people came to worship the Lord. We see there that they came to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Jerusalem was the worship center of Israel, and all of that was happening there as the people had entered into this great and glorious city. But there's a third reason why Jerusalem was special. Because we see in verse 5 that Jerusalem was the seat of justice for Israel. If there was one place you can assume that you can get a fair trial, it was Jerusalem. Because your assumption was, hey, this is God's city containing God's word. That means this city must have God's judges. It's going to give me a fair trial. And so the psalm says the thrones are set there for judgment. And number four, what made Jerusalem special is that Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. This was the city where the royal line of King David ruled and reigned. We see there, it says the thrones of the house of David was there in Jerusalem. So as these Jewish pilgrims, as they made it to the city and they were walking into the city through those gates of Jerusalem, all the emotions of joy and excitement and anticipation, knowing what Jerusalem is and knowing what it means to them, they walked in with that. And they sang this song the whole way up. But entering into Jerusalem, look at verses 6 through 9. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces for the sake of my brethren and companions. I will now say, peace be within you because of the house of the Lord our God. I will seek your good. These words are a call for personal and national prayer. And what I love about these words is the source of them. I mean, think about this. This call goes out from a king to the citizens of his kingdom. You know, as I was thinking about that, I was wondering what would it be like if the president of our nation and the senators and congressmen and governors and political leaders of our nation and states and cities all showed up on the television set and said, listen, everybody, it's time to pray to God. Wouldn't that be amazing if that happened? But listen, King David was that kind of king. King David was the kind of ruler there in Israel that there is nothing that was held back, David felt the freedom to call these people who came to worship God in God's city, let's pray. And he calls them to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why? You see, Jerusalem means the city of peace. And yet in Jerusalem's history, it has been marked and continues to be marked as a city of turbulence, conflict, and wars. And knowing this, David, taking advantage of all these 
thousands of Jews who've now swelled um, into the city of Jerusalem as the, as the population is swelling, as these people have now come in to go to God's house to worship and to pray there. King David says, listen, I know you've come to pray. I know you've come to the house of prayer. So can I ask you, will you pray with me about something? Will you pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Pray that there will be peace with all the happenings within the walls of the city. That's what he means in verse 7. Let there be peace within your walls. All the places of commerce, all the places of justice, all the places of politics, all the places of worship, families, homes, public, private, all those places within the walls of Jerusalem, will you pray with me that God will bring peace to those places? But will you also pray that the Lord will bring peace to our government and to our governing officials? That's meant in verse 7 when he says, let there be peace within your palaces. And why does David call the nation to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? David's petition for prayer wasn't so that Jerusalem can become a great city or a popular city or the one place that people are flocking to, you know, as tourists so that they can kind of get that tourism thing going. The reason why David wanted people to pray for Jerusalem, we see the answer in verse 9, because of the house of the Lord, our God. David's heart was so that Jerusalem would be a place that people could come and freely worship God. And I think about us. Aren't we blessed to be able to show up on a Sunday and gather like this in church without the fear of being persecuted or arrested, but we can openly worship God as God's people here. But you know what? What's happening here isn't the norm in other parts of the world. There are places in other parts of the world right now where there isn't this kind of freedom. And David's desire was that people would just come and feel free to worship God in Jerusalem. So whatever the turmoil or conflict, David is praying, let Jerusalem know the peace of God. Let Jerusalem experience the peace of God. Why? Because God's house is there. So let's pray for that. And God will ultimately answer the prayer of God's people for the peace of Jerusalem when the Prince of Peace, King Jesus, comes back to establish God's kingdom on earth. And Jerusalem will be the capital city, not only of Israel, but of the whole world. And there will be peace there. And there will be peace throughout the world. Jesus is going to bring it. And so here's the application. The same way that, took, that King David took advantage of all the worshipers that gathered in Jerusalem to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Listen, I want to take advantage of all the worshipers that are here in this service, just as I did during first and second service. 
Guys, we are in election year. And a whole bunch of us are nervous that in a matter of a few weeks, we are going to have a new president sitting in the White House. And we don't know who that person is going to be. But listen, the hope of our nation is not in a man or a woman. Our only hope is in King Jesus. And so we need to understand that with all the other things that we do to be involved in the political process, listen, there is no greater, there is no better thing that we can do as the people of God than to pray, to pray for the peace of our nation. And that peace happens when revival comes. That peace happens when there is a spiritual awakening where unbelievers, they hear the gospel and they understand it and they embrace Christ and they pledge their allegiance to Christ alone as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And how are we going to see that happen in our nation? When God's people pray. And so King David, he's calling the people, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I believe that God's spirit for us here living in this nation is saying, pray for the peace of this nation. In Psalm 33, verse 12, the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In Proverbs 14, 34, it says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you know this one. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Application for you and me, let's pray for God's peace to come to our nation in the form of revival and spiritual awakening. So there was joy. There was joy in entering into the city of God. But listen, there's joy in coming into the house of God. In verse one, again, The scripture we already read, David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There is gladness, happiness, joy expressed here in this verse. And listen, it has to do with going into the house of the Lord. And I think that that's a big deal because for some of us, You do not equate the house of the Lord with joy and happiness and gladness. You know, there are people, when they think about going to church, they think chore. When they think about going to church, they think miserable, duty, get mom off my back. But listen, however you think about church, God's design for church is that it would not be that. Coming into the house of God is intended to be joyful. Coming into the house of God is intended to be a delight. And if that is not the way you think about the house of God, most likely it's because you're thinking about God and his house the wrong way. 
would fuel David's joy when people invited him to go along with them to the house of God is because he understood the truth about God in God's house. And it overflowed in his happiness. It overflowed in his joy. Listen, King David deeply loved God. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And because he loved God, he was passionate. He was passionate about learning about God and worshiping God in his house. And so you can understand that for King David, being in the presence of God's house meant more to him than being anywhere else on planet Earth. He confessed this in Psalm 27, verse 4. Listen to what King David wrote there in Psalm 27, verse 4. He said, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, how would you fill in the blank? For David, he said, here's the thing that I I want more than anything else. It's to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Wow. If David could choose between spending all of his days in his palace with all of his servants and armed guards and all the wealth of being a king or hanging out with God's people in God's house at church, he would choose church every time. For him being in the presence of God's with God's people, it trumped every other location. But what fueled it was his love for Jesus, his love for God. And listen, that heart that King David had, that's the same heart and desire that God wants all of his people to have. And a lot of you, you're listening to me right now and you're thinking, I totally get what you're talking about, John. I love coming to church. I love being in God's presence with God's people. And so Psalm 84 resonates with us, doesn't it? In Psalm 84, verses 2 and 10, when the sons of Korah, they said, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. A day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. These guys are saying, I would rather be an usher at church than to be the CEO or the CFO of a big company, a successful company void of God. There's priorities, there's value. And how they understood these things, it fueled, it fed the joy that was in their hearts. And so we need to think about the house of the Lord. What is this place that brought so much joy to David and to these Jewish pilgrims and continues to bring so much joy to the people of God? Well, the Bible speaks of the house of the Lord in two ways. First, God's spiritual house. This refers to God's blood-bought people. That's you, that's me. You see, God lives in us. It's a mind-bending thought, isn't it? God dwells in us. And that means that we are the temple of God. 
1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, it tells us that. We are the place where God dwells. So that means that we are more than just people who go to church. Listen, we are the church. Every person sitting in this room, Peter refers to you as a living stone part of God's spiritual house. And as stones, we are all joined one to another. You're joined to that person that you're sitting next to that you're thinking, I don't know who this person is. This person's a complete stranger. But if that person is a born-again believer, listen, you are stones connected to that individual as family members and as stones of the house of God. It's pretty powerful. It's powerful for us to think of ourselves this way. But not only does the Bible speak of God's spiritual house, but it also speaks of God's physical house. There is God's house in heaven. That's where God dwells. That's where the angels are worshiping. That's where the saints who have gone before us are worshiping the Lord. And one day we're going to dwell there forever, Psalm 23, verse 6 tells us. But there's also God's physical house on earth. This is, this is brick and mortar stuff. This is a building and these are the physical gathering places for God's worshipers throughout the world. And we refer to these worship centers as local churches, our home churches. And for us, we call it Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. This is God's house on earth. And this is the meaning and application of the house of the Lord here in Psalm 122, verse 1. And this is how I want to use the word church from this point on. And as we're talking about the gladness of being in church, being in the house of God, I want you to see what King David was glad about. In relation to the house of God, in relation to church, see what King David was glad about. Here in verse 1, we first see that he rejoiced about going to a place. He rejoiced about going to a place. Listen, King David loved the house of the Lord. You want to know why? Because it was God's house. When he showed up and entered into this building, it was a real, literal, brick-and-mortar building, and it had a real zip code in Israel, in Jerusalem, he knew he was walking into God's house. And that's really important for us to remember. That we, when we walk into this sanctuary, when we walk onto the grounds of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, this is God's house. Sometimes we can forget that and we begin to think it's our house. So we look around and we become critical because we think... They got another TV. I think get another TV. Or I can't believe they painted the sanctuary that color. I would never have chosen that as the color. What happened to the fountain? I love that fountain. What happened to the fountain? Stinking kiosk. Why, why does church service have to be that way? Why can't it be this way? You're thinking that way because you think this is your house. It's not your house. 
This house doesn't belong to the pastors. It doesn't belong to the elders. It doesn't belong to the deacons. It doesn't belong to anybody except God. This is the Lord's house. And so as spiritual leaders, the leadership should be, Lord, what is it that you want for your house? How can we better facilitate ministry in ministering to people in your house? What should the worship service look like in your house? Also, now I get what people are meaning when they say, awesome, we're in church now. Let's invite the Lord here. Let's ask the Lord to be here among us and let's welcome him into our presence. Look, I get what you're thinking there. I, and I've, I pray that too. But the reality is when we show up to church, it's not about us inviting the Lord here. It's the Lord inviting us here. It's the Lord welcoming you and me into his house, not the other way around. So the same way when we're invited to a home, to spend time with the host. We prepare ourselves to go and spend time with the host of that home. Listen, there is spiritual preparation that's needed for God's people as we come to this house. Spiritual preparation doesn't begin when when the worship team begins to lead worship. Sometimes we look at worship as being, okay, here it is. It's the rev up time. Spirit, you know, spiritual worship should already be happening the moment we come into the house of God. Music should never be the filler time where we think, we got plenty of time left for church. They're only singing. We still have another good 15 minutes before the message starts. Sometimes people use the time of singing to try to rev up for the message. Listen, we should walk in to the house of God with thanksgiving and praise. Isn't that what the Psalms tell us? To enter his courts with thanksgiving and into his presence with praise? Courtyard. That's before you even step foot into this building. Wow. It's God's house. He owns it. He makes it what it should be. And he fills it with his holy, glorious, and joyful presence. And this is the reason why, for King David, he was not content to just worship God in his own home. For him, going to the house of God was a part of the worship. He wasn't the guy that was content to just stay home and turn on the radio or turn on the internet and say, well, that's church attendance for me. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I understand that for a lot of people, for physical reasons and geographical reasons, media is the only way that they can attend church. And for you, I encourage you, keep on attending church via radio or television or internet. But then there's a whole other category of people. They choose not to come to God's house. They choose to just remain isolated with media as the only source of fellowship. And for a lot of people, the only reason why is because they don't like people. They just don't want to be around other people. But that was not the way that God intended the church to be. God established these gathering places 
that have real zip codes so that people could gather as the people of God, as one people with one heart and one voice in their worship of the Lord. And so that's why for David, I mean, imagine the king of Israel saying, you know what? I am gonna get dressed, I'm gonna walk out of my palace and I am gonna go to the house of the Lord and I am gonna worship everybody there because at the foot of the cross, listen, it is equal ground. So there is a joy for all of us to gather like this. And I'll tell you, I am so blessed by what's happening in this church. Not only because in all three services, I've seen many faces here collectively, but you know what? I see many familiar faces because I see your faces every week. And the fact that you come week after week after week, how beautiful because you're saying, you know what? I love being in the house of God with God's people. You see, Jesus did not die on the cross and redeem a people for himself and finish the work of salvation simply to allow people to continue in their state of isolationalism. You know, without Jesus, we were all estranged from God. We were all living lonely, dark existence in life without God. But the moment Jesus became our savior, we need to remember Jesus not only brought us to himself, but he also brought us together with the people of God in community. This is what the church is. God wants us to be United. Not only did Jesus do this for us, but we see it modeled for us in the book of Acts. As people continued steadfastly, they were dedicated to gathering in a place with the people of God. Which brings me up to the second reason why David rejoiced in going to the house of God. He rejoiced about being with a people. He rejoiced about being with a people, not only a place, but a people. Look at the words they and us. These are plural pronouns, and they speak of community. God wants you and me to stay connected in community. And if in order for that to happen, that means that we need to get connected and plugged into that one church that God wants us to be in. You know, one of the most dangerous things about our society and culture today is this consumer mentality. That there are so many good churches around us, it's like we're just shopping, spiritually shopping. It's like one church is our spiritual Albertsons, another church is our spiritual Vaughns, another church, you know, is our, is our, you know, the smaller churches are like the spiritual CVS, you know, and Walgreens. And we'll go there and we'll be faithful and dedicated there as long as they keep on providing all the goods and services that make me happy. But the moment they don't have my favorite produce anymore or they don't have my favorite tortillas in stock, I'm gonna go find another church. That's not the way that God wants us to be. 
He wants us to get connected into a church and he wants us to be dedicated there, growing there, loving there, serving there. Oh, but I've got people issues with people. Well, you know what? It's in the context of the local church that we get to learn how to resolve problems and conflicts and difficulties. You know, I pastored a church in Brazil for 10 years. And the one thing about that church is that when people had conflict issues with other people and they thought, I want to leave this church, they had nowhere else to go. (laughs) So you know what these people had to do? They had to learn how to work through these relational issues. And our church became stronger as a result of it. And these people, they had a home, they had a house. And they grew there, and they served there, and they loved there. And this is what makes for a healthy, thriving church. And so when you think about all that happens when people are gathering on a regular basis, here's one big thing that happens. We start knowing each other. I'll tell you, there is, if there's one big incentive for why you should keep on coming here, It's because when you start getting to know the people around you and relationships are getting um, established and they're growing, listen, you know what? You're gonna start thinking, I can't wait to be back in church and to hang out with these people again. I'm so thankful when I was in junior high and high school, I was literally here at church every night of the week. And not only did I grow spiritually by hearing the word of God, but you know what? Those relationships that I had, people that I got to meet here in church and they became friends, they are still close, very dear friends in my life today. These are friendships that are really hard and difficult to find in a world without Jesus. But sometimes people leave too early that they don't have time to get to meet other people and build relationships. That's why I love the fact when I I walk out of the sanctuary, I see you guys hanging out with one another. Whether it's around a cup of coffee or, you know, stuffing your face with donuts and, you know, whatever it might be, breakfast burritos. There's relationships that are happening. And so you say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And you know what happens when we get together like that? Because for most of us, we don't get to hang out with each other every day of the week. Whether it's a Sunday or a Wednesday or any other time um, during the week, these are really the only times that all of us can collectively get together as a family. And when we begin to understand how much Jesus loves that person sitting to the right and left of you, in front of you and behind you, that every one of those people are blood-bought people and they are your brothers and sisters. They are fellow heirs of, of the inheritance of God's promises. Listen, all of a sudden, we begin to grow in this excitement and expectation of wanting to be around family. And it's true. Every family has their weird uncle. And they've got that one family member that you're thinking, I like the distance it's kept. But you know what? Those are the people that God uses us to, that uses in our lives to make us more like Jesus. David was happy to be in God's house, gathering with God's people as they boasted about God and worshiped him in his house, as they learned together, as God revealed his truth and revealed himself to them, and as they prayed together. Man, isn't that awesome? We get to pray together. 
And as we were blessed together and continue to be blessed together by the Lord. Because what a privilege we have as God's people. So what's the application for all of this? It's simple. Here's the application. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Aren't you glad to be a part of the house of the Lord? And aren't we thankful to be a part of this place called Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa? And for people who are listening to this on the radio or watching on the internet, aren't you glad that God has provided you a home church to call home? May the Lord continue to take us deeper in our understanding of this. And I'm super excited that for the next few weeks, Pastor Brian is gonna take us on a series about what it means to be members of the house of God. It is good. It is good to be the people of God in God's house. Let's all stand together and we'll close in prayer.